And um, I was just, you know, and then he said, and plus, no one's gonna want to rent it out. It's a two bedroom, two and a half bath. And no <laughs> one even wants one of those. And so, so <laughs> this guy wouldn't give me like a. I don't know that he, I mean, I guess it was his job, but I was really mad that he would, didn't give me like a straight answer. And so right then and there, I was like, we're going to rent this out. Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. So I got a very special guest for this first episode of season two, Mr. Bobby Lister. Say hello, hey. Bobby. Hey, Peyton, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good, good. So, Bobby, I'm going to allow you in a second to introduce yourself, but first let me share how you and I met. But before we do that, let me tell the audience that you're actually a returning guest. You are one of the guys whose episode has been archived and we don't know where it is. <laughs> we record the episode. You came down actually to the studio. We recorded it in person. You had just got your results back from your COVID-19. It's kind of like a perfect episode. We did it in person in the studio. It was great. And I was excited to launch it. And I don't know how I lost it. I had a Zoom recording titled Interview with Bobby Lister. And I clicked it. And it was the one that we did via Zoom before you came by the studio. I was like, man, I must have deleted the one I wanted to keep. I appreciated the time. So still, it was still worth every second. Yeah, so thanks for coming back. So, Bobby, you and I know each other just from community engagements, man. We, you, you were in some of the same circles. We both have a heart to serve the community, the African-American community, and the just overall middle-class community of Sacramento. You do a lot with Oak Park. You are the uh, planning and properties director with St. Hope, which is which is right there in, in the heart of Oak Park. And you guys are doing so much there. We'll get more about your job duties there. But I think that's, we just know each other through being in the same circles. We've known each other for about a little over a year now. Mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've met together before COVID started. So it's been about two years now that we've known each other because we've met in person a few times, just looking at ways to impact our community. But so before I go any deeper, tell the audience who you are, what you do, Tell a little, talk a little about St. Hope as well. Yeah, definitely. So, um, my name is Bobby Lister. I'm a man of God, um, husband of Krista, and then father of Bobby the Fourth, who's four and a half years old, and Avery. Avery's eight weeks old now. So, uh, like those are my, those are at my core of who I am and shape everything uh, that I do. Um, but in terms of like, uh, I'm a real estate investor, I love and have a passion for real estate. Um, but more so the financial freedom that it can bring to me, my family, and hopefully to other families as well. Um, and then for my day job, um, which definitely blends into who I am, um, I'm the planning, planning and properties director um, for St. Hope. So we're a community-based nonprofit out here in the Oak Park area. Um, we definitely do a push for empowering the area and the neighborhood um, through education, right, which is super important. Um, and then also through, through real estate development. And that's where um, the majority of my job comes into place. So um, we're a nonprofit that attempts to be self-funding and operate like a for-profit 
um, with the same quality of employees and same tenacity and amount of hours that you see people working at for profit. So, um, and we have a lot more at stake because there's lives, right? Not just um, shareholders. Our shareholders are our kids in the neighborhood. So it's super important. That's awesome, man. So first, let me stop and pause and say congratulations on the new baby, father of an eight-week-old. That's awesome. That was new. That that wasn't something last time. She, I believe she was like, what, four or five months pregnant last time we did the interview. But now, yeah. now the baby's here. Um, congratulations, Avery, correct? Yes, sir. Avery Noir. Yeah, so it looks like all you do is make little boys, huh? <laughs> Hey, I get, we're not going to find out if there's uh, if anything else comes because uh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you, Bobby, because I think if I had my son before my daughter, I'd be dead because this guy's a handful. So you got two little tornadoes coming your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bobby before, he's really calm and he was an easy baby. And Avery, he wants to be held 24 seven, not much else. He wants to be held and then he'll chill. Um, but yeah, if you're not holding him, he's, uh, he's losing his mind. So yeah, they, they are a handful. So how's Bobby Ford, uh, like in the big brother role? He loves it. He loves it. So I think, uh, God has a plan for everyone And our, I think the plan for us was this four and a half year gap because, um, I mean, he just embraces the big brother role. It's not competition at all. Um, that's his little brother. We're, we're in two different weight classes. And uh, I'm going to be here to mentor and to help you grow into an amazing, uh, at least big boy, as he is right now. So, man, yeah. that's, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. So, you know, the Millennials of Money podcast is all about helping younger people just learn to be more financial savvy and, and to just make wise decisions, continue to encourage them to make wise decisions with money. And you know, the, the mindset around money, it gets set in place at a young age, in childhood, in most cases. Of course, it can kind of be changed at any point and it can always shift, but that's where those cornerstones, those foundations many times get put in place. So what was money like in you for you and your household as you were growing up? Where did you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Antelope, so not too far from where we're at now, we're city center, Oak Park, Midtown area. Um, so Antelope is a little bit north. Um, I always say it was a blessing because it was in between Roseville and North Highlands, right? So Antelope was definitely a working class neighborhood, but um, I think if you went on over to the North Highland side, you got a little bit more poverty, um, you know, a little bit less um, educated population. And then you went on the other side, you were in Roseville, and Roseville housed. <laughs> A lot like HP and um, I think a lot of uh, corporate buildings. Um, so you get it was there was a little bit more affluence over there. So um, I think it helped us with balance, right? Um, I guess it got it gave us an opportunity to see where our lives could go based on what we did. Um, I think that in terms of like growth standpoint. But I think my parents we never talked about money. I mean I knew that there was food on the table. Um, I knew that I wasn't getting, uh, hundred dollar Jordans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were feet, there were shoes on my feet, but, um, there was definitely a limit to what those shoes would cost. So, 
Um, nothing, nothing in terms of the nitty gritty when it came to finance or money, but, but just that there was, um, that it was a, there was a limited amount of it and you need to make sure that you made good, good choices with what you have. Okay. That's interesting. I like that you talked about being an antelope and how it's kind of in between the, the more poverty stricken area and the more affluent area. And you mentioned, you could see what decision, what, what your decisions could lead you to in both directions, mm-hmm. whether it be the bad decisions or the good decisions, you can see which side you want to, which side are you want to lean towards. And, and that's good to kind of have that experience. And, you know, you're, you're around my age. I think we are almost the exact same age. I know our sons are both four and a half and I'm 33. How old are you, Bobby? I'm 34. Yeah. So we're right there the same age. And so your parents are baby boomers, I'm assuming like mine. And the difference there is that, they they didn't talk to us about money. We we weren't in the Kool-Aid like that. We knew like, okay, there's a limit on how much we can spend like you. There's like, okay, sometimes sometimes we can't buy these things. I know there's things I can't buy, but there's no discussion to, with us around money. And I think that's really changing with our generation. But so kind of just kind of seeing that, not just knowing that there's knowing that there's a limit on money and knowing that your um, good decision could lead you to a better lifestyle as opposed to bad decisions. Talk to us about what life was like when you became more independent after you left your parents' house. Did you go to school at all? Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I went to um, college at Sac State. Um, when I, the second I turned 16, I started applying for jobs. Um, I just, I wanted to have my own money. I wanted to work a lot. Um, to make sure that I made that money. So by the time I went to college, I was a manager at uh, the Century Theaters on Greenback. Okay, the so nice I started, one. I started working there. I don't know if many people remember, but it used to be called the, uh, the Cynodome. They had the big domes there. Uh, and I worked there when during the transition. So I was working a lot. Um, and when you don't have a mortgage or rent or car payment or all these other things, you think you're on top of the world making that. I think it was like $8 an hour at the time. Um, so I, I made it through Sac State uh, because I knew that there were bigger and better goals. Um, but while I was at Sac State, I had the blessing of working for uh, the Golden One Credit Union. Okay. So Sacramento, one of California's biggest credit unions. Uh, the manager took a risk on me and, uh, and hired me and I did a really good job there. But um, I got to work two years in um, a North Highlands branch and Foothill Farms, I think is what we were considered. And I got to spend two years out in Lincoln. Um, and I think even outside of just growing up in Antelope, like, like those two years of my life, being able to see kind of the difference between a retirement community and people who had um, kind of reached that goal and were, you know, enjoying life without having to work versus um, a much more working class neighborhood kind of played a big role um, at a critical time in my life of making sure that I made right decisions. Because when you see, you can always see what's on social media, which we didn't have at the time, but you see what people wear, the clothes, the cars. Um, But when you look at someone's bank account, you kind of see what's behind the curtains um, and kind of the stressors that people have in their lives. And it kind of shaped how I wanted for my life to go moving forward as it relates to money getting in the way or not getting in the way. My head. That's interesting. You know, it's something that you don't really think about the, the, as a, as a working at the bank, you get to see what's in someone's real bank account. 
And it's mm-hmm. like same with me and, and what I do with my clients. And you, I see a lot of people who look like they're living a great lifestyle, but they, their reserves is very limited. And it's, it's, it's shocking. Like, man, you make all this money. Like, I know how much money you make, but you don't save anything. And and that's then that's what builds that kind of check check mentality. And you're always in the in the um, feast or famine mode in the hunter mm-hmm. mode rather than having something that sits there and. I tell my clients that peace of mind that an emergency reserves brings, that thing is that thing is like feels great. So it's just yeah. so important. And it sounded like you you saw that you saw the need for that at a young age from working at Golden One. So that's pretty cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. So so what are some things that you learned from as far as saving and being wise with your money? You started working at a young age, started working at uh the greenback there. Let me pause there and share a funny story. I'm not even sure if we're going to include this in the podcast. But so my wife, my wife, who I'm married to, I, I've known since we were 16. Since I was 16, she was 15. And she'd, she'd, I'd always try to talk to her, but I'd always have a girlfriend at the time. And she'd always say no. And she, cause she, she knew I was, I was a cat back then. This is before I was super, this is before I was super Christian Peyton audience. But, uh, but yeah, so she knew I was a cat, but then finally I got her to just go on a date with me. And like, she, I took her to the Greenback Theater because it was nice. I live in Elk Grove and like, I live in Elk Grove, South Sacramento. And she, she still says like, I was trying to hide her from the other girls. That's why I took her way out there. So <laughs> that's an ongoing joke we have. But it's a it's a really nice theater. <laughs> it is. It is. I was probably the one that was out there taking your picture and everything, or taking your uh, tickets. <laughs> yeah, you, the <laughs> you probably were. You probably were, man. At that time, I'm. You probably was you. So did you pay your own way through college? Um. No. So luckily. And man, I feel, I remember, I remember one of my college professors telling us about how his tuition at UCLA was like, uh, I don't know, he said it was like $70 a uh, semester or something like that. Um, But luckily at that time, I think tuition at Sac State was, I don't know, $1,400, maybe $2,000 a semester. So it's definitely much more affordable. Um, but I was blessed with parents that did pay for it. And they basically said they'd give me a room, right? Which I, so I stayed with them, um, gave me food, and then uh, everything else I had to pay for. So, um, and they paid my tuition. Yeah, so they paid for it. And then I had to buy my books and then any other thing that came up um, outside of that. But yeah, I think one of the reasons why I only applied to Sac State was because I was so afraid of thinking about taking on student loans or more tuition, whether it be me taking it on myself or even my parents. I was very um, conscientious about money and finance and um, not wanting to take on too much. And I didn't really want to go to college anyway. So I just figured this is close and it wasn't a big risk. So so what do you think that came from that conscious, conscientious mindset around not wanting to take on debt? Because like so many people, get into college with a get out of college with a ton of debt. They take out more debt than they need it. Like you know, you shouldn't be graduating with hundred thousand dollars in debt unless maybe you're an attorney or a doctor. But just because they just because these loans are available, it doesn't mean you have to take them. So what what made you think about like, you know, I don't want to take on these huge loans. You know what? I don't know. I've just always been like that. Like 
I hate, I've always hated birthday gifts, right? Because I knew that someone uh, was spending money for, on something for me. Like my grandmother used to send me uh, like a 40 or $50 check for, uh, for my birthday. And um, she'd call me like months later and be like, why haven't you cashed that check? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I don't want. So that was just, uh, uh, that was just, I don't know. I just have always been really conscientious about money. I don't know. Maybe I should go to therapy and try to find something <laughs> that went on in my life to make me really, uh, really extremely conscientious about money. But yeah, I just knew that I didn't want, I mean, I knew I was making $7 an hour and that if I were to pay uh, $10,000 a semester for school, it would take a lot of hours to pay that money back. So um, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what made me so conscientious about money. So not when to go to college, what made you decide to actually go? I mean, I think it was just, it was, the parents set the tone from a long time ago. They were just like, you, you're going to college, you're finishing school. So there was no other choice um, for me. So, yep, I just, I went and got, got through it. Barely, barely. <laughs> hey, hey, you got through it though. That's all that counts, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about what was your saving habits like? It sounds like you've been a frugal guy your whole life. What were your saving habits like as you worked through college? And then we'll talk more about after college. Yeah, so no, I always, I always wanted um, a cushion. I did a good job of having somewhat of a cushion. I mean, a cushion when you live at home with your parents and don't have too many expenses, it's like two or $300. Um, so I always had that in my bank account. Um, I think at the credit union, I remember I saved up, I finally saved up like a thousand dollars and I put it in a money order or not money order. Um, a CD, yeah, CD. Put the money in a CD. And I remember seeing a few cents add on every, <laughs> few, uh, every few months or so. And I was like, this is not working. Yeah. I could find something to make <laughs> more money off of this. And then that's when I actually, I went to a financial, actual financial planner at this time. And, uh, he put it in an American funds. I cannot remember the, 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 fund. Gro the growth fund of America. It was something like that. He yeah, went the, the, that fund. that's like their flagship, the growth okay, fund of America. Okay, he put it in. He taught me what a mutual fund is. He put some money in there, and um, yeah, I was putting money away at the time. I had so much extra money at that time, and I think it only lasted maybe a year. But I was putting like two hundred dollars a month away, and I that, thought that was that's a great oh, habit for for a young man to do two hundred dollars a year. I'm mean, $20 yeah. a month. That's, that's a strong habit to be starting at that age, you know, is I'm sure it paid off for you in the long run. And we'll get to that. Let's before we kind of go hop into what you're doing now with St. Hope and also the real estate investing. when did you meet your wife? High school, high school. So we started dating. I was a, uh, the summer going into my senior year, summer going into her junior year, we started dating and um, yeah, I took her on a date to the to the movie theater. That was nice. my idea. Frugal, and I could, <laughs> and <laughs> so we got a free popcorn. I just paid for the gas. Yeah, took her to the movie theater. Um, and yeah, we've been dating ever since. So she uh, she's a fight. She lived in Rancho Cordova. Mm -hmm. um, and like now thinking back to like these things that she did was crazy, but she lived in Rancho Cordova and she still wanted to go to the same high school that we were going to, which was center. 
And um, she would ride the bus or public transportation, multiple buses from Rancho Cordova uh, to Antelope. So it was probably about, about a two hour commute. And then she'd go to school and she was on the wrestling team. And then she'd work at McDonald's. And then pretty late at night, she'd take the bus back to Rancho Cordova, take that two hour trip. So she's she's always been uh, pretty persistent. She, she's a hustler. She sounds like my wife. I know she is an attorney and my wife's going to law school. So mm-hmm. we got to get them together at some point. Yeah. So, so you're probably like me. You don't win very many arguments at home. None at all. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> I, I, I tell the men in my Bible study, I was like, as men in general, we might have two arguments against our wives that we, two W's a year. So save them. Don't waste them on these little small things because we got two at best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're pushing 12 years and I think I might've gotten two in those 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But yeah. So, um, you got married. You got, let's talk about after school, you got married. Did you guys pay for the wedding on your own? You had to help people help you guys out. Did you guys oh, go elope? I shouldn't, I shouldn't admit to this, but, um, uh, um, so Krista was able to get all financial, um, tuition cause she was considered, um, uh, like child of the state or something like that. Basically she, um, she didn't have financial support or parents to financial support herself. She got through school all paid for because she worked and got that tuition assistance. I had tuition assistance. And then we were 22, I think when we got engaged and we paid for our wedding through a student loan. (laughs) (laughs) We took on like an $18,000 student loan. And uh, I think one of the things that was really important to us was that, well, one, we're only getting married once. um, And two, we're getting married super young. And um, like we always had plans once we hit 10 years to do something again, but we were just like, but this is worth it, right? Like this is this is us jumping into marriage. We want to invite as many people as we can. We want for this to be an amazing event. And it was worth all $18,000 that we had taken on in that student loan. So yeah, that's how we paid for it. I know, that's awesome, man. You've, you've been through your whole life. You deserve a little bit of sp- right. spoiling, right? You deserve <laughs> to spoil it, especially on I do that's- not recommend that to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> especially something that's gonna last forever like you're like me hey so this is long haul like yeah. the, divorce is not an option so it's a long haul yep yep <laughs> no that's awesome man so um let's talk about you more today uh talk a little about what your wife does what you do uh talk about what your roles at saint hope and then we'll hop into real estate investing from there okay okay let's see so um right now so at St. Hope, I'm the planning and properties director, um, which is new for me. I think I've been in role for about a year um, because before that, I'd spent 10 years in human resources. So my degree is in business with the concentration of human resources. Right after school, I went to, to HR. I got my um, professional HR certification. I'd gone to a bunch of conferences. I taught courses. Um, all sorts of stuff in the, in the HR space. Um, but I definitely wanted to change. And, uh, I came on over to St. Hope in a role that was like technology HR based, um, and helped implement some systems 
And then um, we really wanted to be in a position to start taking over the management of a lot of our um, our properties in-house. Um, and so that's where this role came from. I helped manage our commercial properties and our residential properties. So we have a few office spaces, we have retail spaces, we have 12 um, apartments. So um, yeah, so that's how I got into this role. Let's pause here for a commercial break and we'll hop right back into it. Sounds good. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host and wealth advisor with Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. You know, many times what I do for my client is help them secure the peace of mind of knowing they have enough. You know, as millennials, it's easy to feel like we don't have enough. Enough to secure the financial future we're hoping for and also enjoy our lives now. But that's why one thing I do with all of my clients is what I like to call a money purpose plan. And make sure that their current spending is aligned with what's most important to them. That way they're able to enjoy their life now while they track towards their financial goals. If you're interested in securing your money purpose plan, please reach out to me. You can contact me at my phone, 916-271-1974, or email me at Payton, that's P-A-Y-T-O-N at Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S-Fin, F-I-N dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's get back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Millennials of Money podcast. I'm here with guest one of season two, Mr. Bobby Lister. And he just shared about his role at St. Hope. Um, so let's talk more about your role as a real estate investor. So how did you begin real estate, uh, getting in, doing this role? You know, you brought you, your property manager, so you got that real estate background. How did you begin investing in real estate? And what's that like for you today? Yeah, so um, I didn't consider myself a real estate investor until we had the last podcast and we messed up on it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just considered myself who someone who had uh, purchased homes, lived in them, and then went on to the next one. So um, our very first purchase, I worked for a company. Um, they're owned by AIG, so they're out of business now. One of the things I'd have to do is like drive around um, all sorts of crazy stuff in this role, but I was randomly driving around. My wife and I had been married for, I think, coming up on a year, randomly driving around. And I saw a sign that said like, um, homes for sale. And, um, I was on my lunch break. I ended up going inside and there was a house that was for sale. It was $140,000. What were you, what, what year was this? <laughs> this was 2010. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, in Sacramento, $140,000. And what we ended up finding out was that it was the model that was for sale. It's a two-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, 1,244 square feet. So I went inside, and I talked to um, the uh, broker. So his name is Jermaine Clark. He does a lot of real estate in Sacramento. Um, but he was like, it's $140,000. And, and I was just like, well, I don't have $140,000. <laughs> I had no idea how you finance a house. And he was like, well, no, I can get you in on an FHA loan. He was like, how's your credit? I was like, I pay my bills on time. So I said, you're good there. He was like, are you working? He asked about income. So we were good there. And he did the numbers. And he basically said, if you can come up with 3%, which was, I think, maybe $4,000 or so, come up with 3%, then I can get you in this house and your mortgage payment will be... I think at that, like $950 a month. 
time, our, our rent was like $1,100 a month. Um, so I cautiously went through the process because I did not trust this person who was telling me that I could pay less to purchase <laughs> a brand new house than I could to rent. Um, and we went through, we got it done. And then at the time, some people might remember, but the economy was so bad at this time and home prices were going and foreclosures were happening so fast that the federal government actually offered you $8,000 for closing on a house. So um, we closed on the house and like two or three months later, we got a check for $8,000, which is more <laughs> than we had ever seen before. Um, and there was something else. Oh, I ended up using some of those, uh, those American funds to get the $4,000 to go towards the down payment. So ended up paying off. I don't know what those funds would have been worth now had not, had I not used the, um, the cash those out, but I'm really glad on the return that we've gotten from that house. So, yeah, for sure. That, that, that's, that's an awesome story, man. It's just, it's all about seed sowing, you know, like you opened that American friends way back in the day and it helped you get, use it for a down payment to buy the first home that home's paid off tenfold. So let's talk about the interesting way you approach real estate investing, like from the Airbnb stuff you do, the stuff with the extended stay nurses. Let's talk about how you kind of, how this came from just home ownership, which is the American dream into a sort of a business ownership. Let's yeah. talk about, let's talk about that transition. Okay. So that house um, that we got for 140,000 after Maybe I think it was like four years I was living and loving and not thinking about ever moving from this house. I remember we went, um, my wife started law school and she was going, she was basically working from eight to five. And then she had law school class from like five 30 until like nine 30. Um, and I just wasn't comfortable with her commuting like she was. And we made the decision. We were going to move closer to ESAC. We were going to rent. I met with the realtor. The realtor came on in and he uh that at the time the house was worth, I think it was probably worth 180000 at the time. And um he comes in and he's like, Yeah, he was like, This is a really nice house. He was like, Yeah, you should um I told him we were on the vert, we didn't know if we wanted to sell or if we wanted to rent it out. And he was like, wow. He was like, it's worth 180000 You guys are young. He was like, I know you have some student loans that you need to pay off and some a bunch of bills that you probably need to get paid off. He was like, this, selling this and being able to take that money will be a good uh, foundation for you and your family. And um, I was just, you know, and then he said, and plus, no one's going to want to rent it out. It's a two-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath. And no <laughs> one even wants one of those. And so I was so <laughs> This guy wouldn't give me like, a, I don't know that he, I mean, I guess it was his job, but I was really mad that he would, didn't give me like a straight answer. And so right then and there, I was like, we're going to rent this out. So my wife had worked in property management for a while. She was pretty familiar. Um, and we ended up renting it out. Again, our payment was $9.50. And I think we ended up getting like $12.50 a month. And so we were on cloud nine <laughs> getting, collecting $300 a month to pay down a mortgage that we, you know, we weren't paying anything on. Um, that's a winner right there. That That's yeah. a winner. It's, it's yeah. so funny that the guy told you no one's going to want this. Like, that's like what people want. It's, it's a two bedroom house. Like, oh, no, no one wants this. Like, yeah, there's yeah. no, there's nobody who wants two bedroom. They don't exist. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why they even made them. 
Yeah. And six years later, I think that house is probably out of those six years, it might have been vacant maybe five or six days. <laughs> wow. Uh, like we literally were at our third tenant. So on average, they've stayed about two years, maybe a little bit more than two years. Um, and yeah, it's it's barely been vacant. Um, I think right now we're getting 1700 for it. Um, could be getting significantly more, um, but it covers our needs. And so, yeah, we started renting in Midtown after that. Um, I'm sorry, ESAC after that. And we randomly were driving around Oak Park once and um, or we were actually spending a lot of time in Oak Park. We had no idea that it was Oak Park. We just knew it was diverse. It was uh, uh, we really enjoyed the neighborhood. And then we randomly found out we were in Oak Park, which was this neighborhood. If you're from SAC, you just know like you just know to stay away from it. Right. Or it had mm. this horrible reputation. And we were like, wow, we've been coming. We've been going to the coffee shops and riding our bikes around here. And um, we were, I asked my wife if she thought it'd be cool to, to actually move here. And um, she was like, yeah. And I think we were kind of semi looking and then the arena uh, was passed. And I remember looking at like this um, affordability map and it was basically saying like Midtown, ESAC, all the land parks and Curtis parks were unaffordable, it, but uh, Oak Park was still considered affordable. So we loved this place. It was still considered affordable. And we ended up purchasing our second home in um, in the Oak Park area. So, yeah, that was our second investment. Um, yeah, we bought that for $230. Um, right now, I think if we were to sell it, we'd probably get close to 460 for it. So it's wow. almost a double dip. Um, and then, yeah, we stayed there for about five years. Um, do you want so, me to talk about the other investments? Or? Yeah. So, so how they how how did you start creating revenue with these properties? You have the rental property, the one, and it's building equity. How did yep. you begin to start making revenues? And talk to us about the approach you take to the with the nurses and with the Airbnb. Let's talk. Let's talk with the nurses first, and then we'll talk about Airbnb. The reason I want to touch on touch on the Airbnb is I have so many clients and listeners who are interested in getting their foot in that door. Okay, here, I'll reverse it. I'll go into Airbnb because that's what happened first, um, which was we wanted to leave the Oak Park house, right? So we were there for a few years and we um, found another house that we wanted to rent out. So our goal was to just have the Oak Park house um, on Airbnb for a little while. Um, and I'm totally jumping the gun because a few months when my son was about a year old, we decided to take a month long vacation. And with our month long vacation, we listed our house on Airbnb. Um, and it ended up being booked so much that it ended up paying for our entire vacation. We wow. just thought maybe we'll make a few hundred dollars or so. And we ended up bringing in, we paid the mortgage plus what we had spent um, in Mexico and everything. So we knew Airbnb was an option. Awesome. So this time, a few months later, we were actually looking to move and rent out to a different place. Um, and we said, let's listen on Airbnb. So we go a limited amount of time without um, bringing in income. And then we'll get all of our furniture moved on out and we'll end up uh, just renting it out for a traditional rental. And again, started getting booked really quick on Airbnb. Um, it doubled our mortgage, what we were paying for our mortgage. And 
It's been on Airbnb. We're coming up on three years now. So that's how that started. Um, moving forward, we ended up purchasing a fourplex. Um, we put out some equity from their first house to purchase the fourplex. The fourplex has four units, which we had planned on going on Airbnb, um, at least two of the vacant ones. And those are on Airbnb. We had two traditional rentals. But the re way that we moved into um, housing travel nurses and project managers and just these um, kind of extended stays was when COVID hit, right? So when COVID hit, basically anyone who wanted to cancel a reservation could. Um, if everyone remembers a year ago, it was just chaos. We didn't know how people were getting this, this thing. Um, people weren't traveling. All business travel had stopped. And so nurses were still traveling, right? Um, and one of the things that we did was we started focusing on travel nurses because we knew that they would still be in the area. And it was a little bit more secure. So we could do like a three-month lease to kind of jump us, uh, jump us through the next few months to slowly get to a position where um, travel had started back up. So that's how we started with the travel nurses and Airbnb. Got it. So what would you say your real estate portfolio today is? is estimated value of your real estate portfolio? Yeah, so between, um, I think, one, the initial house that we purchased, it's probably worth about 360,000 right now. Our home in Oak Park is um, about 460, and then we bought a fourplex. We bought the four, fourplex for 560, and I think that in terms of value is right now, now is about 640. Um, so overall, it's a little bit under 1.5 million. Yeah, well, yeah, but I was just gonna say 1.5 million. That's awesome, man. And it all started with skinning together that $3,000 from your American friends to put it down around a home. That's yeah. awesome. That that's an that's an awesome story, yeah. dude. And, yeah, and I think everyone has their own route in terms of what they want to do with their property, but I think we were we've been and will continue to be very patient. Um, I mean, cause a lot of times what you'd see is people sell a home and then roll it on into, you know, their next purchase, which puts them in a good position equity wise, they can put that full 20% down, but, um, we've still maintained the same lifestyle while building equity within these homes. So it's been, a, um, it's, it's kind of, it's grown our equity faster than it would have had we just put it into another home that we were going to purchase. And we don't pay any mortgage at all because it's paid for by all of our, our tenants and guests. No, that's awesome, man. That It's so often that when people's income increase, they feel that their, their expenses and their budgets increase right alongside it when it really shouldn't. So what's some, what are some tips that you have that you and your wife have shared, especially two partners have shared? Like we guys are both on the same page of this as far as keeping that, budget where it needs to be and not allowing it to rise along right along with your income. What have you, what's some tips? Yeah. I mean, I think one is just being broke together, right. <laughs> After we got married and like the most we had ever seen in a bank account was maybe five or $700, right. At least together. Cause we had all of these expenses. So being broke together and just kind of always having the mentality that this could all go away immediately. We need to do what we need to do to, be successful um but i also think um our experiences with like some of our jobs out of college and knowing that there was potential to make a whole lot of money but it also took a whole lot of time 
um, and not wanting to sacrifice our time together, and now sacrifice the time with our kids in order to increase our salaries. Um, but I think probably the most important was just kind of setting the tone of what brought us happiness, right? Like, um, we know we love to travel. We know we love peace of mind. And we know that we will, uh, that there is no limit to what we will do for our kids' success, right? So, um, like, just being on the same page. There are other things, right? Cars, we definitely want a Tesla. We want multiple Teslas. But it's not, not, definitely not like really high on our priority list in terms of what will bring us happiness, right? Mm-hmm. I, I get my clothes from pretty cheap places, right? And I would de- I see stuff in the mall and I'm like, whoa, that looks good. But in terms of the amount of money that I'd spend and the happiness that it would bring me, um, it's not, it, it just isn't worth it. So. You know, I love what you said there, man. And that's like, you, all my, our listeners have heard us talk about it before, I do this money purpose plan. It's like my fancy way of saying budget. And all it is is just aligning your spending with your values, with the things that mean most to you. And it's awesome that you and your wife have been able to do that on your own and just mm-hmm. keep your lifestyle the way you want it. And you guys are happy and it brings you happiness. That's awesome. That's what it's all about, man. So you got you guys are on the right page there. I love that about you guys. Let's um just out of curiosity, what is your real estate portfolio? What was it cash flow? annually oh man i should know this um so it's a gross is close to 150,000 dollars a year um and that's with we have one travel nurse we have three traditional rentals and then we have three short-term rentals so yeah it's a mixed portfolio i I always call them short-term medium-term and long-term rentals diversification my man diversification Yeah. Yeah. And oh, that's one of the other things I want to hop back on was that um, I think we're pretty transparent about all of like the portfolios and what we spend money on and those types of things. I think people get really, um, I guess there's a lot of judgment, right, around what people spend their money on. And to me, it's just as long as you're spending on what makes you happy, right? If you, if you know the you really enjoy that uh, $2,000 purse or whatever it might be, um, then do it and do it. Just because I don't find value and it doesn't mean that I have a right to judge you. And, and that, that's something that brings it. It's huge in relationships. It's huge in what I do with my clients is empathy. That's mm-hmm. what it, it's empathy is, okay, the, people want to say, well, this doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But we got to be empathetic with the feeling that that brings that person. Like this, this purse is, makes me feel good. It mm-hmm. makes me feel happy. I don't know what it is to, for a purse to make me feel happy, but I know what it means to feel happy. And I know what I know what that feeling's like. So I can be empathetic with that feeling and say, oh, I understand why you bought that because it gives you this feeling of happiness. It's not my right to say it shouldn't give you this feeling of happiness. It does. Mm-hmm. And I think when we can be when we look at stuff through a more empathetic lens, we have happier marriages, we have happier people. And we just are happier with our finances. Yeah. Yeah. I know people with like really high car notes, right? <laughs> but they, but it, they, like we step in their car and it feels like it's brand new. My car, I have a 2004 Highlander and it had milk stains and, you know, like I, like Cheerios from my kids. 
goods and I could care less if it's in there because at the end of the day, not having a car payment makes me, makes me happy. So, um, yeah, I think empathy is definitely something that we should have around money and our relationships with others surrounding money. Exactly, man. So what tips can you share with some of our listeners? I have a lot of young listeners out there who want to be in real estate investing in some capacity, I'm not sure what capacity that's going to be, but they want to do it. You know, you hear about all these people on on TV with these commercials, these infomercials, like you can make a million dollars in your first year and all this and all that. What are some tips? You're someone who's really doing a great job at building a real estate portfolio and enjoying their lifestyle. So what tips can you share? Yeah. So, I mean, we talked about um, making sure that you're focused on what brings you happiness. Um, for me, I think what I found 10 years later is that everyone has their own path, right? And I would listen to these podcasts and I'd hear all these people talk about how what their um what their real estate portfolios look like. And you always hear about the people that are like, you know, over five years have in in the real estate world, they always say doors, right? They have 20 doors under management and all of these other things. And for me, I think I finally gotten comfortable with just saying like, this is over 10 years, right? Like this is, I mean, and it's during a continuously good economy and real estate prices, right? This could turn around, but we're in it for the long game, right? And it's, it's three units, 1.5 million. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't overnight. Some people are those super producers and they can, um, focus on those things. But I think slow and steady has really worked for us. I think it works for a majority of people. It's just not the, it's not the ones that you hear about on TV. It's not sexy enough. Um, I'm trying to think of what else he said, tips. Um, yeah. Focus on what brings you happiness. Um, yeah, I, I try to engulf myself in, um, I do listen to those podcasts with crazy stories from people because I feel like the more that I hear it, whether I'm hearing other people talk about it, or if I'm in a real estate networking group, um, the more you set yourself in those areas, the more, um, it's going to happen. Right. I mean, just I opportunity starts to present itself. If I'm hearing all these people getting all these doors under management, um, I might not be as fast as I'm, but I'm still going to make a move. And that move just seems normal to me because I've been just uh, engulfed in this real estate talk and world and movements. So no, I, That's a great answer, man. Hey, I think it's pretty sexy what you do with real estate. You've done a great <laughs> job. You know, you're, you said your portfolio is about 1.5. I think you said you, it. Um, it, your grossest net uh, net net uh, income is like one 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 forty, which is like a ten percent, ten percent return, which is awesome. Which is like an, an aggressive portfolio. That's that's awesome, ten percent, and that's not even t- what I'm considering the equity. The equity is is huge. So you've done a great job, man. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> Your real estate portfolio is sexy, my man. <laughs> <laughs> now it is. Now it yeah, is. Yeah, now it is. <laughs> took, took some time, but you got there. You also talked about being in those right circles. You want to be in those right conversations. What's it say? Like you're an average of the five people you hang around. You're like an average of them. So you want to make sure you're hanging around the right people and putting the right stuff in there. Listening, listening to the right podcasts. Might I suggest the Millennials of Money podcast with Peyton Toshio, boy? 
I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you and your wife have really been open and talking about money from really from the start. So what's let's talk about that. What what that's so difficult for so many young couples, but so important. And it's really important to be candid and be open. And say, hey, this is me. This is how I am. This is me. I bring this baggage with me. You mentioned one thing that me and my wife got to do too that made a difference was being broke together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> being broke together makes a big difference because you, you don't have no choice but to be open. Well, let's talk about what that was like for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no advice for people, I guess, later on, right, that have a lot of bills and things like that. Because again, we started off with nothing together. Um, I mean, I think there's probably even a lot of people who start off negative together now, right? Because had this been this day and age where college is much more expensive than it was 12 years ago, um, um, like you're probably going to be starting your job when you, you know, starting your first job with student loans when you meet your first uh, partner. I mean, I think in terms of general rules of marriage is just being transparent, right? Um, and general rules of a relationship is being transparent. So I think that that would be important. And then just being on the same page about how aggressive you do or don't want to be about any type of debt. Um, and then how you prioritize your spending moving forward. So um, yeah, through the years, we've done all sorts of things. We've started, we always have our general bank account, which is together, right? Um, and then maybe we transfer $50 a week towards something that brings my wife happiness and $50 a week towards, you know, account uh, something that brings me happiness. And that way um, we each have our kind of like our, our individual happiness spending. Um, But we have a lot of priorities of spending that we have in alignment as well. So like traveling is a huge thing. So. No, that makes a big difference. Being aligned on these things and making sure that you share with your partner what brings you happiness. And then it's okay when they understand that. It makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So let's, we, we, we both talked about how it was for us. The baby boomers didn't talk to us too much about money. What are some of the ways you plan on changing that as you as your children? They're very young now, but as they get older, do you think they're going to talk to them more about being wise with money and spending? Um, so I definitely, I guess there's that fine line between, um, making sure that you're maintaining your kids innocence, right? Like, I think the less that they have to worry about things like money, the more they can find out who they are. Right. But I think that there's also going to be, um, there's also limited amounts of things, right. Whether it be money or, food or whatever those things are, and they need to do what they need to do to either um, work for more or accept what they have. So I think that will probably be more of what my conversation is with with my my sons in terms of like there being a limited, there's supply and demand. There's a limited amount of supplies of anything and everything, including money. Um, and you need to make sure that you're, you're uh, keeping that in mind. And then, you know, I'll cross that bridge when I get when we get there, but the allowance and, you know, things like that will start to come on up because I think it's important. I think it's important that going into not even, I mean, teenage, becoming teenagers, um, having kind of those things sorted out 
and understood beforehand is important because 18 comes quick. You get a lot of power to make a lot of bad decisions at 18. Yeah, you get a lot of power. You get a lot of um, offers from banks giving you cards and it's, it's important, man. So we kind of in both. I think you're taking the perfect approach, you know, with my four-year-old, we're kind of the same way. We have to let them know you can't get a toy every week. Like There's a limit on how many resources there are. He has to know that. And also with my teenage daughter, who will be 13 this year, we have to talk to her about, okay, is this really worth it to you? Or would you rather put off now for something that you want later? Yeah, yeah. So, man, I, you're doing a great job, man. You're doing an awesome job as a parent, as a business owner, as a employee, too. So I really just enjoy you coming out and sharing with our guests. You're awesome and awesome guest. Let's um, wrap it up here. Last question I always ask everybody is, hey, Bobby, I know the words financial success can mean different things to different people. It can mean different things to the same person at different times. So what financial success was to you, maybe last time you were on the show, is different than what it is to you now. It definitely is different than different to you than what it was 10 years ago. But today, 2021, Bobby, what do the words financial success mean to you? And I don't mean a dollar amount. I mean a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. I don't, oh, man. I can't remember what it was before. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think in this point, in my life, which I feel like is is a level of financial success, is um, I don't like money doesn't bring me anxiety. Right? I think in a lot of a lot of times that money and anxiety are are really closely tied together. So like, um, I, money has given me a way to find a job that I love. Right? And not saying that my job doesn't give me pressure pressure is is uh is healthy right a pressure to perform especially with what's at stake but i don't get anxiety about going to work and i don't get anxiety about wanting to quit my job and what would happen without having money coming on in from that right um i don't get anxiety about uh uh not being able to travel or you know us not being able to move so i think financial success is um, being able to really enjoy your journey and your lifestyle, and um, knowing that the knowing that there's there's still further that you want to get to. There's still a much higher goal that we're reaching for, but we're definitely um, in a comfortable and fun, relaxed uh, space as we we start to reach for the for that goal. So, no, that's an awesome answer, man, and. Not having that anxiety, you know, like that's priceless. Like not having that stress and feeling like I can't do the things that I know I want to do, the know I know the things I know my wife deserves to do. Not having that, it's it's success. Like I said, it's financial success. So Bobby, this brings us to the end, man. You've been an awesome guest. Thanks for coming back. You know, thanks for being flexible. I think it was actually better this time, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's wrap it up. Um, All right, Bobby, God bless, and thanks for coming on. I hope my audience enjoyed this episode. Absolutely. I appreciate the invite, Peyton. Bye. Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRA-SIPC, 
Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks and have a blessed week.